Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 5. And we're going to pick up with uh, our reading at verse 17. It is speaking about uh, the work of Christ and beginning with the word therefore, basing it on things that had been said previously about the work of Christ. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, as we bow before you in these moments, we would ask that by your precious Holy Spirit, speaking through your word, our hearts would hear you. We thank you for your word that you have seen fit to preserve for us here today. And we pray, Lord, that you would cause it to have its impact upon us from you. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. For our dessert theater this year, we presented Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And we have looked at uh, what the truths of Christ could teach Mr. Scrooge uh, for these last three weeks. Christmas Carol is uh, it's a great story. First and foremost, it is a story of transformation. Scrooge starts out as a tight-fisted old man, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. And he becomes a loving, repentant, 
joyful, forgiving, open, and generous old sinner. He remains that as we do. This is what it says. After his transformation, Scrooge says, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. He asked his nephew's forgiveness. He raised Bob Cratchit's salary. He became a good boss. And then Dickens says this. Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend and as good a master as the good old city knew and any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. Ever afterwards, it was said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well if any man alive possessed that knowledge. That was a, it was a true transformation. Now, I've told you that I love that story. But here's the thing. If anyone reads that or sees it on, uh, you know, the movie or TV or saw our play and comes away from that saying, okay, I get it. I need to change myself too. I need to get better and celebrate Christmas more and, and just be a better person in general. If someone comes away from that story in that way, it won't be very long before they are absolutely frustrated because they won't be able to do it. Don't forget, even in the story, Scrooge didn't want to change himself, couldn't change it. It wasn't until there was an, an influence from the outside that then the transformation came. Now, I want you to think for just a moment about how people try to transform themselves. Uh, this week, I googled the words transform yourself. Now, for you non-computer people, Google what you do is that's instead of looking it up in the, in the Encyclopedia Britannica that were on the shelves as you were growing up. I, when I Googled that, in, this is overwhelming, less than half a second, I had access to 68,200,000 results. Most of them were like seven steps to transforming yourself, 20 steps, 25 steps. So you multiply that out. I'll tell you, it took me almost all week to read all those references. To <laughs> if you go to a bookstore, now you on the other end, you, you uh, 
computer people, a bookstore is where we used to buy books. <laughs> and you could pick them up and actually look at them. But the biggest section, in all likelihood, is going to be the self-help, self-improvement section. Because people have an interest in that. We tend to see at least some of our flaws. And a lot of people will try to do something about it. Some of the ways, I, just to categorize them. Resolution. Now, that could be New Year's or otherwise. And by the way, on the first Sunday in January, when I present to you our, our verse of the year, one of the things we're going to talk about is the biblical way to look at this resolution because a lot of us will be in the midst of that, right? But some just resolve, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do better. I will improve. Another is just sheer willpower, self-discipline. Just do it. The power within. You know, I've got it within me to do this. And for some, it's positive thinking. Just love yourself more. Accept yourself more. In fact, some would even come to the conclusion, I don't, I don't need to transform. I just need to accept myself the way I am. Now, I'm not really opposed to any of those. I'm not going to speak against any of those. The problem is that if we use those in order to change ourselves, there's a limit. No matter how hard we try, no matter how powerful you are or self-disciplined you are, there's going to come a limit. So that's where we go to the Scripture and see what it says about transformation. Not just for Mr. Scrooge, but, but for us. So here's where we begin. In our passage for uh, 2 Corinthians 5, the first, first aspect to understand is only the Creator has the power to make ultimate change in His creation. Only the Creator has the power to make ultimate change in His creation. Verse 18, when it talks about being a new creature, it says, all this is from God. That's where the transformation, if it's going to take place, it's got to come from God. Um, there, there are a lot of things that they don't teach you in seminary. And uh, most of those things you find out in the, well, in a real short period of time, you begin finding out things that they didn't teach you. And one of the lessons I learned as a young 24-year-old pastor who was out of seminary, 
was that I couldn't change people. They didn't tell me that in seminary. I got out and, and people, even as a, a young man, would come and they would ask for spiritual advice or life advice and things like that. And no matter how clear I could see in my head and could see in them, I realized that I could tell them what I thought and that wasn't going to do anything to change them. That as a pastor, I could not change people. In fact, I realized I couldn't even change myself. What, what would make me think that I should be able to change other people? So, back to our passage here. It talks about the believer as being a new creation. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone in, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. Now, how does that happen? Well, God creates man in the beginning. And then we are born. And then, spiritually, if we are to be a child of the living God, there's another step. Because we are born in sin. And if nothing changes that, we are on our way to condemnation. And so, while we are born once physically, we need to be born again, the Scripture says. In John 3, we see Jesus interacting with Nicodemus. Here's the account. Jesus said this, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, there's a common misconception about this phrase, born again. Some people uh, think of that and, and teach that that's when you pray to receive Christ as your Savior. In other words, someone might say in their testimony, if you do this, I'm not rebuking you, but um, you know, it's good to use terms properly. Someone might say, well, uh, in their testimony, yes, I, I remember that something inside me, uh, you know, I was in vacation Bible school or camp or something, and I prayed to receive Christ, that's when I was born again. Well, that's not really what this is talking about. In fact, the only reason you would be willing to and feel prompted to pray to receive Christ is if you had already been born again. It's explained in, um, over in Titus chapter 3. That's what we call 
Being born again is, the, the theological term would be regeneration. If you think about that, regenerate. To generate again, to be born again. Here's what the scripture says in Titus 3, verse 5. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, there's the word, and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to to the hope of eternal life. So here's the idea. God, not when we're seeking Him, but when we're still His enemy, gives us a new heart. And we are born again. And then, because we have a new heart, we see Christ in a whole new way. And that's when often there is some kind of an outward expression of that which has already changed in our heart. Like our first birth, to be born is not something that you do or you will. And neither is being born again. It's something that God, in His infinite power, by the power of His Holy Spirit, gives you new, a new heart and new life. That's the new creation. And then we recognize that we're a new creation and we're not bound by our former life at that point. Wilfredo Garza lived the life of an illegal immigrant for more than 35 years. Year after year, he eked out a living. He would, he would sneak across. The, he lived in Mexico. He would sneak across the border. Some days he would find work. Other days he would not. He, uh, he got, during that time, he got caught by the border patrol four different times. Every time they would bus him back into Mexico. That wouldn't stop him. He would uh, sneak across or he'd sometimes swim the Rio Grande to get back into the United States. And then at one point, this would have gone on his whole life, but at one point he worked up his courage to meet with an immigration lawyer. The immigration lawyer, after a little bit of research, found out that Wilfredo's father was born in Texas and had worked there. And so Wilfredo actually was a citizen of the United States. He lived all those years in guilt and fear when he had the papers that proved he was a citizen, his father's birth certificate and records of his working there all that time. There are believers 
that God has given a new heart. They possess it. And yet they are living in guilt and fear. Not taking possession of that which has already been given to them. We must recognize who we are in Christ. Now what what changed if one is a believer? Verse 17 says it very specifically. The old is gone and the new is come. So here's the thing. Some people teach this too. I'm, I'm, I'm saying, can't do this. Some people, when they sin, they say, oh, that was the old man. That was the old man in there. You know, he came out. You can't say that because the old is gone if you're in Christ. There's not some old little man living inside of you that is prompting you to do that. No, instead, we must live according to our identity, and our identity is this. The old is gone, and the new has come. Act like it is how we ought to. Now, I'd give you one caution with that. We can't always judge the change by outward behavior. We've all heard testimonies of those whose life immediately changed when they came to Christ, and those are wonderful testimonies. But there are also those who were living a relatively moral life, decent life, good spouse, good parent, that kind of a thing, and they come to Christ what we've got to recognize is sometimes it is about the outward change, but always it's based on an inward change of a heart that's in Christ or not in Christ. Romans 12 then tells us this. Again, this is a chapter. It's chapter 12. It begins with a therefore, so it's based on everything that's come before that in Romans which is all about salvation in Christ, and now it's going to get very practical. Once you're transformed in Christ, then this is said, I appeal to you, Romans 12, 1, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Now, I've just spent all this time saying we can't transform ourselves. That's in terms of our eternity. But obedience should always follow a new heart. Verse, um, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing You may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, we read elsewhere with Paul over in in Galatians where he talks about our old life and he has this, this list of what it's like living in the flesh. And then he talks about coming to Christ 
and he presents a new list. But that list is not a bunch of legal laws that, you know, once you're in Christ, okay, now you obey these things in some legalistic way in order to stay well with God. But he replaces that old list with the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what changes in us. The love and the joy and the peace and the patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. That's the list of the fruit that comes out of a transformed life. So what do we do? Well, once we're transformed, we ought to obey him out of a love and out of gratitude. I'll tell you three things quickly. Read, pray, and listen. Read, pray, and listen. Begin with the reading of the Word of God. Never underestimate that. That's where our, our, our reading must begin in terms of uh, being a child of the living God. That doesn't earn your way to the Father, but it helps you know Him better, and it, he, God's Spirit uses that in our hearts for us to know ourselves better. So, so we read that, and then I encourage you also to read, read good biographies and autobiographies of those who have gone before us, those who are with the Lord now, who were spirit-filled and God-transformed. Read those. If you're anything like me, those will encourage you. Not only their successes, but their, their struggles as well. And pray. That goes with the reading. It's not you do this and then later on you do this once you've done reading. But pray because any transformation that takes place, any resolve in your heart is only going to be by the power of God who is our creator. That's the only way that will take place. And then listen. Do what you're doing right now. Listen to Bible studies and and sermons and teachings that, that will edify you, that will fill you up. See, here's the problem. When, when the old is gone, if we don't fill it up, there's just going to be a void, and it's going to be filled with something. And so fill it with reading and prayer and listening. About a year after it came out as uh, a book, I read the book Unbroken. It's now, a couple years ago, it became a movie by Laura Hildebrand. She recounts the story of uh, the World War II veteran and prisoner of war survivor, Louis Zamperini. 
in May of 1943, Zamperini's bomber left on a, um, a search mission, and uh, they went down in the Pacific, about 800 miles out. He ended up uh, on a tiny life raft. He survived, and this was a world record for 47 days. During that time, you can imagine the the physical suffering and uh, dementia and various things that he suffered on that boat. But then he was rescued. Unfortunately, it was by our then enemy, the Japanese. And even after all the trial he had been through, that's when his real troubles began. He was, uh, for two years, a Japanese POW. A lot of time of that time was in the Sagamo prison. He was tortured, starved, uh, not only physically tortured, but mentally tortured as well. And in particular, by one guard who had it out for him in particular, Wantanabe. They called him the bird. In 1944, Louis had been, had, was declared dead, but he also was rescued. Returned to the United States with just a huge rush of publicity because he had been an Olympic runner before the war, so people knew his name. Unfortunately, when he got back, he survived all of those things, but his life quickly descended into his own prison of alcoholism and depression and abuse of others and bitterness. In particular, he had nightmares about his time in prison and about Watanabe. He at one point said, I, I, I never want to go to Japan again, but then he determined he wanted to go to Japan to take out his revenge. As you read the book, you can't help but be impressed by his internal strength, his discipline, his perseverance, as many other prisoners around him were dying, he determined that he would get through this. But even with all of that discipline, he came away embittered by his experience and absolutely unable to deal with it. But then he went to a Billy Graham tent meeting, not by choice, but he was bugged into going to it, and he met Christ there. Didn't just meet Billy Graham, he met Christ. This is what the author Laura Hildebrand says after he received Christ. When Louis thought of his history, 
what resonated with him now was not all that he had suffered, but the divine love that he believed had intervened to save him. He was not the worthless, broken, forsaken man that the bird had striven to make him. In a single silent moment, his rage, his fear, his humiliation, and helplessness had fallen away. That morning he believed he was a new creation. After trusting in Christ, Zamperini returned to the Sagamo prison. He met with a lot of the guards, the ones that were there in prison, who had been in on the torture, and he expressed his forgiveness of them. He wasn't able to meet with the bird because he was in hiding. And he never did get with him, even though he sought him out. But Louis felt something he had never felt before for his captor. He knew it was compassion. This one that had tried to break his will, tried to murder him, and everything changed for Zamperini when he met Christ. It was forgiveness. It was beautiful inside of him. And finally for him, the war was over. He spent the rest of his life serving Christ. There is no explanation for the end of that story if you take Christ out of the picture. There is no way to explain that. His discipline took him through all of the the prisons and the torture. His willpower, his perseverance, his personality, all of those carried him through that, but there was a limit. And without Christ, he never would have forgiven. But instead, his creator, the only one that can ultimately change his creation, gave him a new heart and a new will that could forgive those who needed forgiveness. Our ultimate need is Christ and the transforming work of Christ in our lives. Let's pray together. Lord, will you do something in our hearts whereby there will be no explanation for it except the transforming work of Christ? Will you, Lord? It's not within us to do that. We are unable, but you are infinitely able. We ask for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.